episode 234. I'm your host, Mike F. A.K. Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, currently trapped in 2003, David Bernie, Family Master. Go ahead and Gudgeon is not yet here. Guest. And then uh, I'm the Mighty Tam, because, and I've been, uh, I've got more robots than you can shake a stick at. Nice. Do shake sticks a lot. And Kaijin should be along soon, but some of us here are tired, so hopefully this show isn't terrible. Too bad. Toddler's waking up freaking early in the goddamn gonna go great. Uh, so what you been playing? Everyone else but me. Uh, Tam, would you like to go first as the guest? I, the only thing I've been playing is Super Robot Wars 30. <laughs> Fair enough. Feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you'd like. I mean, there, there's not much more to say. It's Super Robot Wars 30. It's got robots, it's got mechs, it's got armors, it's it's got explosions. It's shiny, explody goodness in all its glory. Does it have wars, though? That's Hence why there's explosions. Nice. Does the war never change? <laughs> they do, um, depending on which animes are in it. Um, sadly, this one has just a lot of animes I've heard of, and then a lot, but most of them I've never seen. So I'm just like half confused. I'm, I'm like picking up what story bits I can from the series. Luckily, there is, they did put like an encyclopedia. Like a compendium, basically. Yeah, the, well, the compendium, but they also actually have um, like synopsises for all the game for all the animes. Yeah, yeah. Let's see on this list, what have I actually seen? Tom Battler, Gundam, Zeta, Charles Counterattack. Uh, I've seen some J Decker, not a lot. Gaugai Gar Final. Uh, Get a Robo Armageddon. Ray Earth, Gunnick Sword, and Gridman. So I've seen like half of these. <laughs> That's yeah. usually about my batting average. What were you saying? Uh, yeah, so I've seen Ray Earth. Um, I've, I've, I've actually sat down and watched and get a Robo Armageddon off of YouTube a few weeks back because I don't know who. Oh, I yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Yeah, that was well. It, it was like you know, this shows up in like so many Super Robot Wars. I need to know what this, what the heck is actually going on in this anime. I'm not convinced that just watching Armageddon by itself is going to explain what's going on in Armageddon very well. No, actually, actually, it kind of does. I mean, fair enough, fair enough. It, it it pretty much you know says this is what happened before, this is what's going on now, and then you have the plot twist ending. So you know, I'm like, yeah. okay. The big problem with any given Getter series is that there's a lot of weirdly dense Getter continuity and a lot of continuity that ignores other continuity. Yeah. Armageddon no, is really standalone. Yeah, Armageddon actually summed, summed up like what had been the state of the world going into it. So Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, um, I've seen Don X Sword. Yeah, that's a pretty decent one. Uh, um, back when I think Funimation had the license. Mm -hmm. um, haven't seen Night and Magic. Haven't seen Combatler V. 
haven't seen Mazinger Z, or as one of my co-workers likes to say, uh, Transor Z. That, oh, man. That's, a, that's an old cut. Uh, no, uh, said co-worker is about 10 years older than me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, haven't seen Jay Decker. Hmm. Uh, have heard of Elgon, but never seen it. Oh, Heavy Metal Elgon? Yeah. I've heard of it at least. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's Tamino and I think the Five Star Stories guy. Okay, okay, that makes sense because uh, the mech designs do, especially some of the um, the Elgon Part Two, really reminded me of the Five Star Stories, which I did uh, read at a comic at a anime store when I was younger. So, okay, that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Um, never seen any of the Gal Geiger. Mm hmm. Um, I own Better Man, like the original Better Man. Mm -hmm. So I at least know some of what they talk about when the Better Man stuff shows up, but... The Gal Geiger part is kind of lost. Yeah, <laughs> completely lost on Gal Geiger. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I may know a lot about anime, but because I've been out of the loop, some of these more recent series that are showing up is just, like, over my head. Uh, Majestic Prince, no idea. Hmm. Um, I assume you've seen a bunch of this Universal Sentry Gundam, though. I, I, um, yeah, I've seen Gundam... Well, that's the thing. This is all... I've actually seen a lot of AC Gundam and not UC Gundam. Oh, like alternate continuity rather than Universal Century. Yeah, so G Gundam, Gundam Wing, Gundam Axe. I've seen a lot of that those, but as far as UC Gundam, I've only ever watched Gundam. Original Gundam, like 0079? Yeah, like original mm -hmm. Gundam. Uh, one of the compilation movies, actually. Yeah, those are, like, people kind of debate the merits of, like, which is better for the original Gundam, the or the proper episodes or the compilation movies, but they're some of the more coherent compilation movies. Oh, I've also seen, I also have seen O8MS Team, War in the Pocket. And War in the Pocket's the best Gundam. War in the Pocket is a, is really, is the, it's not a good watch, but it is the most realistic Gundam series. It's depressing. It is depressing because it shows the effects of war on everybody. It's like the one Gundam where it's essentially impossible to just get raptured by like robot fights because there's not really many of them in it. Uh, and the ones that happen are unhappy. I also, I also think I own double. Uh, what is it? Gundam Double O Eighty. Uh, that's more in the pocket. Are you thinking okay, of yeah. 0083 Stardust Memory? Or? Yes, I have the uh, Stardust Memory. So I've seen a lot of like the really er the a lot of the stuff focused around the One Year War. Yeah, like all the OVAs end up being like ancillary material. That's like here's something else that was happening in the One Year War. Yeah, um, I think I have seen Char's. No, I have. I I know a lot about Char's Counterattack mostly because of other Super Robot Wars, but then I've also. Uh, played a lot of the Gundam Musou games, mm -hmm. which are amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. CCA is something that like the entire like Universal Century timeline ends up pivoting around after it comes in. Yeah, but I've never seen Zeta. I've never seen Double Zeta. I've never seen F ninety one Victory. F ninety one is pretty self contained and pretty good. 
Any uh, of the stuff with the crossbone vanguard never seen? That's never been animated. Like, Crossbone Gundam has never been animated at any point. But it's been in a lot of... It's been in a few Super Robot Wars now. Yeah, no, it's... Like, it's one of the most popular manga spinoffs that Gundam's ever had, but it's never been animated. Um, uh, it's one of those things where there's, like, always, like, sort of... It's sort of like Hathaway's Flash, where there's always, like, a rumor cycle about, wouldn't it be cool if this is animated? Maybe they'll actually do it, and they just never have. I suspect they'll probably pull the trigger sometime soon, because they've started moving, making shows that take place at which was kind of verboten after for like 20 years but i've seen i've seen all seed and destiny mm -hmm. which is so. also kind of a retelling like not officially but like in terms of how its plot is put together it's similar in many ways to uh UC, just yeah it's kind of a reimagining of it yeah so So I mean I've I've seen a fair bit of Gundam. It's just very piecemeal, and mm -hmm. that's sort of my it, sort of my issue with trying to watch. You know, so, sometimes with the Super Robot Wars games because it's such a mix, miss, yeah, mix match of series. It's like, what have I seen? What haven't I seen? And what will make sense? Mm -hmm. And like it's there are certain series that it sort of assumes that players already are familiar with, so it gets very. Uh, it gets very like uh, I'm trying to, like it, it's very summarized in terms of what it's going to show about them. Yeah, well, and the the um, where the like they had such a m mismatch of series that when they tried to jam all their stories together, it just made the game bleh. I mean, Super Robot Wars K is one of the most, like, infamously... Oh, this one's just really bad. Uh, I remember there was, like, a, a meme for a while, like, any time that one of the new OG games would get announced, but the protagonist of that would be... Uh, like, people would Photoshop him into screenshots, and, like, people hate that fucker, so... It was just, like... Which one's weird. K? Uh, K is the one with uh, Mist Rex... Uh, what is the actual series list on this account? No, no, um, what's... Tell me the robot, because I'll remember the OG robot. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the OG robot's name is the problem. Is it the one we were dis discussing the other day where it was, like, had time travel and was, like, three different robots over time? No, that's W, I think. Oh, that's right, that's W. K's the other one, then, where it's, like... Two different roles. Second DS one. Okay, yeah. K K is the other one with like lime barrels of iron, I believe, besides L and it and I wanna say that's the one where the two robots eventually could combine into one bigger robot. Maybe L is the one that has lime bar barrels of iron. Now there's been two with lime barrels of iron. I think that one's I think the other one is UX for three DS. Oh, okay. Sometimes like, no one, no one cares about K. <laughs> yeah, no one. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm on Akarasu. I'm going to look. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, UX and L. Hmm. 
Robot Wars Payments. Cross Omega, yeah. Yeah, this is the one that had the um, the F Fafner in it. Yeah, Fafner and the Azure. There's some other weird series in that one that don't show up that often. Uh, original Steel G doesn't show up that often. There's a Zoid series, those don't show up that often. Oh, okay. K's the one with Zoids. Or... Mm -hmm. Okay, I remember that one. I think I actually beat that one. Interesting. I'm not saying it was good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just one of those things. Like, I've I've met very few people who've actually played more than a handful of stages of it. But oh, Super Robot Wars Neo I need to play just for NG Knights of the Moon and 40 Fresh. Neo, that's the Wii one, right? Yeah. I, only I think it has, like, like cat labor in it for some reason as well. Yeah, well... Uh, not the first time Pat Labor's been in one, but yeah, Neo with so NG Knights of the Moon and Forty Fresh is actually an anime I own. It is a really bad anime. That's never stopped something from showing up before, and it won't stop it from showing up again. No, it's just a bad anime. Although it's not the worst anime I've ever seen. We should probably cut the shorter wheels. Will die. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wheels is confused here. Robots and or wars. God, Neo has Jushin Liger. Holy shit. Mm. Yeah, I mean, cool, uh... put into Neo is just like off the wall. Yeah, like it's such it's a 3D game, which very few of them have 3D art. It's you can see when you look at it why very few of them have 3D art, but like this series list is bizarre. Go Shogun. 40 Briger. Oh, Jesus. Satai Muteki Raijino. The Cat Psycho Gosar. Like, this is a. I think a full half of these are debuts of series that basically never showed up again. Well, in any case. Like, the online one. Uh, the, like, gotcha game ones. Like, uh, I was clicked on Lords of Lords Ryunite, and that's an OE and X Omega. Yeah. Operation Extend is, I think, the other 3D one. Uh, that, might, that might be the one that had Pat Labor in it. Was thinking of. Yeah, that's the one with Pat Labor. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, but in any case, if we go for we else will die, so we'll cut this slightly shorter. Yeah, but anyways, that's literally the only thing I've been playing. <laughs> Robots. I'm, doing, I'm cutting this short for you, Wheels. Thank uh, you. I've, I've played through Soul Blazer. Sweet, it's a good game. Yes, yes, it is. It's, it's uh, I think that, interesting. That, that Scar has beaten that on his wheel. Oh, oh yeah, that would make sense. How oh, dare he steal my gimmick? Did you have a gimmick, Wheels? Yeah, Wheels. You don't actually use that. That's true. <laughs> no, see, the thing is, like, he like... is the wheel. Uh... Also, hi, guys. Hello. 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 We're just in what we've been playing. Uh, but yeah, I, I finished uh, Soul Blazer. I had played it before, but never actually finished it. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's uh, 
Like Honestly, it was my least favorite of the three Heaven and Earth games, but yeah, we'll we'll see how I end up feeling. I haven't uh, played the other two either. I just started Illusion of Gaia not that long ago. Yeah, it's uh, different. Well, it's the first in that series, so yeah, it's it's also it's a very simple game. You can tell the the Quintet was founded by people who had left Neon Falcom, which is like. One of the two places that every cult classic RPG series came from. It's like you either <laughs> came from Telenet Japan or Nihon Falcon. But, uh, yeah, the uh, you can tell that like Soul Blazer is like just one step above East 2 in terms of complexity. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a very... Uh, simple game and I, I think that's mostly by design it's it's interesting it has kind of its core theming is uh built around uh patience you know taking things life slowly and as it happens rather than trying to rush through things and it's like i think it's it's good at doing what it wants to uh i started illusion of gaia i've been trying to catch all of the red tools in that uh, those are ridiculous. Uh, if they hadn't included information on where all of them were in the instruction manual, I don't think any human being would have ever found them. No, probably not. I, I actually found most of them without, um, with a bare copy of the game, no instruction manual, but yeah. I I'm impressed. The, the annoying one is in um, in one of the, the big city towards the end where you actually have to stand in line at a store. Oh yeah, the standing in line bit's incredible. Uh, yeah. There, there's a bit right at the beginning where it's like without a manual I would have never found it uh, without like a guide I would have never found it because uh, there's a one right at the beginning in your opening town that you quickly lose access to uh, that's the other thing that makes the red tools brutal is that a lot of areas you just lose access to them once you've left them but uh, yeah. so you get used to just checking everything <laughs> Yeah, well, there's one in the first town where uh, there's a fisherman uh, hanging outside of, like, this cave that you and your character's friends are supposed to be, uh, like, constantly congregating around. thing is, uh, the uh, he has a red jewel, but he'll only have it if he spawns next to the cavern which he like randomly spawns at one of three positions uh every time that you enter and exit the cave uh the cavern time of day it it's technically based off of time of day like he can't spawn next to the cavern until it's further until you've like hit the event flag that makes it evening but the thing is that he still only has like a one in like i don't know what the exact thing is it's probably one in three but like one in three chances don't happen as often as you would like, and if you don't know to look for it, there's no reason to assume he has one. <laughs> but yeah. So that was that was extremely strange, uh, but it, it's been good so far. It's a much chattier game than Soul Blazer. It's interesting. Uh, Soul Blazer is a very uh, likely intentionally keeping the file size low sort of game. Uh mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. I've been enjoying... Uh, I do find, like, 
The weirdest quirk of the translation, the translation seems pretty standard for the time, not terrible, not amazing, except that it can't decide whether it is first-person or third-person narration. <laughs> and so it keeps switching between them, often between sentences, which is very yeah. distracting. So, some of the other Quintet games had a similar issue. I remember Robotrek was particularly bad about its um, choice of verb tenses at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm intending to do essentially the six four quintet games uh, that all kind of share the same uh, styling and theming. So I'll be doing I I have also on the side been playing like Act Razor Two, which is a brutally hard game, uh, and. Absolutely not what anyone who was buying an ActRaiser 2 was immediately interested in purchasing. It's not a bad game, but I do feel like making it ActRaiser 2 and marketing it as ActRaiser 2 was maybe a mistake. But uh, it, it also has just a lot of very strange design quirks for an action game. Uh, perhaps most notably, it's surprisingly complex gliding mechanic that uh, you just sort of have to develop a feel for. And uh, there's a weird quirk of how the game determines if you're going to take damage from an attack, where an enemy that... uh, Like, enemies do contact damage unless they are in the process (coughs) of taking damage. And so the first mini-boss is just forcing you to realize this mechanic exists. Because... The entire thing is just slightly too large to reasonably jump over. And its primary forms of attack are shoot at you and try to ram through you. So you have to learn during that fight that if you are attacking it while it's ramming through you, it can't hurt you. It's very strange. I don't I don't know of a good way to communicate that to the player, but they sure didn't try. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I've been playing the quintet... Uh, the quintet sextet, as I will be calling them. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so that's that's ongoing. Looking forward to playing Terranigma, since that one's probably the most beloved thing they ever made. Uh, and then I will have to, like, face my demons with the Grand Spring Saga afterwards. Is that the PS1 bomb. game? Yeah. Yep. The one where everyone and looks it, like they have no face. Yeah, the, yep. they did not render anyone's face. No one got a face texture. It's it's an interesting thing because like it's sort of like in the context of both Soul Blazer and Illusion of Gaia, I can see how it kind of was at least seemingly conceived as the successor to this series. It's just that they had to go 3D when the company as a whole did not know how to manage 3D graphics. Yeah, they did not ever really get good at that. Uh, well, I don't know when Dave, they actually went defunct, huh? Oh, Dave, if you would ever like a copy of Magical Hoshin, which was possibly their very last game for Game Boy Advance, I can get you one for like a buck. Hmm. It's really cheap over I, here. <laughs> I might take you up on Is that. It good, it's very though? hard. Probably not. <laughs> but it's one of those things... Uh, I've been trying to sort of, like... It's very hard to determine when they actually went defunct, because they seemingly... 
had like a subsidiary called Shade that eventually split off, and I'm not clear when that happened. And there's a lot of things that like various members of Quintet are have credits on after that that are very very depressing to look up. Uh, but I'm not sure if they were still Quintet at that time or if that was just like you know the people had gone their separate ways. But yeah, just um, I would say just look up the publishing date for Ho Magical Hoshin and whichever uh, Full Metal Alchemist game they did and. About six months after that. Yeah, that would put them into uh, as alive into at least like oh three, I think. Yeah. There's some other stuff that like Shade is uh, credited on, but seemingly not Quintet. Like PS2 launch title Orphan Scion of Sorcery, but I don't think Quintet's actually involved. I think that's after Shade had split. I do own that. Yeah, it's extremely bad. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's, play. it's one of those games that, like, it feels like it was probably made in, like, nine months. But we've discussed that last week, so I won't go too far, much yeah. further into that. Uh, Gaijin, what you been playing? Well, I'm finishing up some of the post-game content on Nino Kuni 2. Mm-hmm. Any Just because it's not possible to get all of the citizens in your kingdom until after you've beaten the final boss. Of course. I've got three left. Any good? Uh, like, it's the post-game content any good? Yeah, I had a really nice little heartwarming story between two of the main major characters in the post-game. That's good. So, yeah, it was, apparently it was the actual DLC um, quest. So I've oh, got all yeah, the DLC. The, the Nino Kuni 2 on Switch is like the Princess Edition that has all the DLC. Yep. And then in my bag right now, coming out of my bag, I've got a new game to start up mm -hmm. as soon as I'm officially finished with this one. And that is? Well, it's got a number. It's got a Roman numeral 5 in the title. Oh, yeah. It's a day later there. <laughs> <laughs> Damn international dateline. He 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 he. Anyway, happy Pocky Day, by the way. Hmm. It's it's a it's unofficially Pocky Day in Japan. Oh, because of the eleven. <laughs> one one slash one one. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Pocky's good. Good yeah. times. And <laughs> and ten years ago, it was officially Super Pocky Day. Because <laughs> eleven eleven eleven. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So we all made sure to actually have some Pocky at eleven eleven on November eleventh, two thousand eleven. Yep. That's important. I yeah, do enjoy me some Pocky. There was a there was a a for the pandemic there was a a theater down uh, in Seattle that had a they every Sunday they would do what they were calling anime sunrise where they would like show some like anime film or OVA and one of the things that they did to entice people to this was that they actually just left Pocky out for people to take. Like, it wasn't even a concession they were charging for. <laughs> Watched a lot of uh, good and not-so-good anime movies. Well, I mean, that's kind of how, you know, watching it off of the sci-fi channel back in the day was like. It's mm -hmm. true, it's true. And there were a few of those that were sci-fi channel refugees, but then there were some other good stuff. There was some actual good stuff, like Mamoru stuff, or... Uh, mm -hmm. some some more uh, like fun stuff like Project Echo that sort of thing. I watched Gunbuster that way. I'd seen Gunbuster before, but it's fun to watch on a big screen. Oh, I don't, I never got to see Gunbuster. 
But I did get to see uh, Armitage the Third Polymatrix. <laughs> but we must avoid falling into Mecha Talk again, or we also will die. <laughs> I still personally think Armitage the Third has one of the best lines in the dub. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? She, she's gone. Gun-toting terror in hot pants. That's uh, that's that's a good way to sell. That's that's a line you put in your trailer to sell it to the nerds buying VHS tapes. Yeah, that's that's possibly the most Englishy translation of a Japanese episode title I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. Let, let's see. And wheels. What have you been playing? I've been playing Guardians of the Galaxy still. Yeah, you sent me a copy of that in the weirdest fashion possible. I did. I feel the yep. listeners have to hear about this. Uh, I was about to ask. I want to hear about this. Yes. So Wheels sent me a package. He wouldn't tell me what was in it, but that's tradition. I didn't expect much different out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, he sent me a package that contained... Uh, that I open it up, and the first thing that greets me is a pack... A, a box for Borderlands 3. <laughs> uh, I immediately discard that as some sort of ruse because it's wheels and he knows that I'm not going to play that even if he sends it to me. Uh, so we do. So I check the other thing in the package. It's a target, uh, a target bag containing a copy of. Guardians of the a box for Guardians of the Galaxy for Xbox Series X. Open that up. That's empty. <laughs> then, with in grander confusion, open the Borderlands three box, and inside it is a PS five copy of Guardians of the Galaxy. So now I have a Xbox Series X case for uh, <laughs> Xbox Series X case for Guardians. Of the galaxy that contains a PS5 copy. Hmm. So that's <laughs> that's something to put on the shelf because Wheels demanded it. Yes, Wheels didn't actually demand I put that on the shelf, but I mean, didn't give me a lot of other options. You can throw it out. <laughs> no, I would never do that. What else was I, what else am I going to put in there? I don't know. But, but yeah, there, there's an additional story behind this as to why this was sent. Yeah, like the like Wheels has to elucidate why this happened. Yes. So I bought Guardians of the Galaxy, and the only reason I got it at launch is because I had a fifty dollar coupon for Target. So it's like, well, now I have an excuse to get this game at launch and you know mess around with it, see if it's any good. And it was really good, obviously, and I was incredibly addicted and regretted not trying to get the deluxe edition which has a nice little steel book uh this nice little outer box which i can show on my stream uh, an art book and stuff so i was like okay well uh let me see uh, i'm looking to getting those on ebay because you know a lot of people naturally with those sorts of editions piecemeal them out and sell stuff on ebay which was the case here Except they were all really expensive, like 40 to $50 just for the steelbook. So it's like, well, crap. I was going to get Dave either Guardians or Metroid around Christmas time, so why don't I just 
get this deluxe edition and send him the PS5. Like, get the PS5 deluxe edition, keep the extras, and send him the actual game. And I'm glad to have been your excuse. Yes. <laughs> My earlier idea, which may have been funnier, was to find a copy of the Telltale Guardians of the Galaxy game and send it in that. That might have actually been hard to track down. That game yes. did not sell. No, it it I couldn't I couldn't find one quickly, so I gave up on that. Uh, that's what I have to send you for Christmas now. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think like that did not sell. I think it's long since been delisted. Yeah, probably. Uh, but it's that's kind of funny because playing getting towards the end of this game, it actually reminds me a lot of a Telltale game in terms of Just like. Not- the strangled di- by the limitations of the telltale tool right like you'll get the dialogue choices and sometimes it'll th- say things on top of the screen like Groot appreciates that or rocket, rocket will not remember that yes <laughs> rocket is not happy that you told drax to t- chuck him over <laughs> chuck him across the cliff can't uh, believe you did that i did not i did not uh <laughs> Uh, Joe did though. He he fell. <laughs> of course. Yes. Uh, it's you two are equal and opposite in all realms. Yes. But yeah, so the story wise it's got that telltale feel and obviously it's well written and well voice act. But it's an actual game. <laughs> I feel like there's like like the the thing about any given telltale game is that they eventually like after the Walking Dead season one, they they came to the conclusion that like, oh, we just do the writing and we kind of remove the gameplay element. But like, the original Walking Dead actually has a lot of puzzles to solve, yeah, and a lot it. of those later Telltale games kind of don't. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, they plus they kept refusing to upgrade their engine, so there was not actually a lot that they could do with it yeah. after a while. Well, that buying up license, you know, buying up licenses to try and make more games, and it was like, yeah, they kept trying to repeat the success of Walking Dead, and like, they spent probably a lot of money on things like Guardians of the Galaxy, Batman, uh, Game of Thrones, back when that was hot, like all these like, licenses that were probably really expensive and absolutely not selling consummate to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's a nice idea to have like your narrative not necessarily branch it. A ton, but like to have like one that's obviously affected by player choice, right? Right, and just like I don't want to play a million of these visual novelty things. Like you, you do need to like they—they they were good. It's good to break up like like you break up the narrative with other things because that's how players digest game narratives. Yeah, so you break up the narrative of like, you know, the, the older telltale games would break up narrative by having puzzles. Solve this puzzle to get to move forward. And it's like, Oh, they kind of, they kind of let that go. It just kind of went away. It's a shame. And you know, yeah. But hey, now we have a game. That's a nice template. If someone ever wants to do, well, there is a new telltale, but if someone wants to do something better, like take, I would love to see more games like take some of their ideas and just like 
change up how they do narrative. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of things that you can still do with that formula, inserting it into games that game they have a yeah. Like there's there's no need for that formula to be only on like strictly narrative games. It's just that that's what Telltale could afford to make. Right. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it works. It works well for this game. It gives it like a light max Mass Effect feel. You know, you can like talk to the crew between missions and stuff. And the story goes some delightfully fun like Marvel, like Marvel's space stuff is always kind of wacky and. And Cosmos in it. Yes, and Cosmos <laughs> in it, and the game really embraces like all the spirit of that, um, and and it's great. And I really, Easy. obviously, being a child of the '80s, I like that they went for like an '80s music motif over like the more '70s music in the movie. I can't stop this feeling. I mean, I like both 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 eras of music, so. I was yeah. fine. No, they're both good. Like, um, there's an awesome soundtrack no matter what. But yeah, you still have a preference. Like Joe was, I think it was Joe was saying in the chat, like he's already likes these character more characters more than movies, and it's like, yeah, but they have a lot more room to grow. Mm. Obviously, because it's much the game combined is much longer than like both movies, but uh, yeah. it's. It's, uh, but it at least isn't living in the shadow of the movies yeah. the way that something like the Avengers game was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that initial trail trailer didn't really wow anyone, but like, it, I mean, the one thing I didn't like about the initial trailer was like the voice actors didn't necessarily jump out at me, but over the course of this game, they really like become these characters, and uh, it, mm-hmm. it's and the characters go through growth it's just it's fantastic and um i mean i can't wait to see what idols montreal does after this whatever it is whether it's another marvel game or whatever maybe some more deus ex maybe deus ex maybe guardians of the galaxy 2 that seems like where they would go next but we'll see hopefully but yeah, I mean, there's there's lots, there's a ton of wacky space stuff in the Marvel universe they could do more stuff with. Like, I I picked up, uh, I decided to pick up the Guardians of the Galaxy comic because I want to start reading that after playing this game and gets more of those. And I, you know, mission the, accomplished. Yes, I open the front cover and it's like, okay, let's see who's on the current roster. Oh, Doctor Doom. Why is Doctor Doom <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy? It's like, oh, Dor- Dormammu has taken over Ego, and it's a g- galaxy-wide shenanigans. So bad guys are helping out the good guys. It's like, yeah, okay. That's <laughs> uh, Marvel. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I tried I'm to down. avoid the comic books just because I know the continuity is going to be in the shape of five-dimensional spaghetti. Oh, that's nothing compared to DC either. But yeah. I love I love all that I mean, nonsense. Yeah, it's it's like I have enough stuff on my own notebooks to try and keep track of and trying to make sense of either of the major comic book companies' internal continuity is a headache waiting to happen. Uh, should maybe hit some questions before. Yeah. We all shut down. Yes. Yeah, so, long story short, Guardians very good, highly recommended. Um, 
and I'll probably play that sometime in the coming weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very breezy game too, so I know obviously we're all talking about RP game RP giant RPGs on this show. It's something you can easily fit like while you're playing other things or between other games. So it moves pretty quick. It's not super long. And it it does have some replayability too, because you can go through again and see how the dialogue options change. Oh yeah, that's that's one other thing I want to bring up that maybe I didn't bring up before on in terms of just giving an example of how like the dialogue options may change some things. So there's one part in the game where Gamora runs off after a villain. Uh, mm-hmm. and you can either like chase after her or not. I don't even think this was a dialogue option either. I think it's, it's just like something you can organically do. And if you chase after her, like she slows down and like a bridge blows up and she falls back and the whole group stays together and that was that. Uh, but I was like, I want to see what happens if you don't do that. So went back and did it again and let her chase after her. And, you know, the party goes on without her. And eventually she comes back with the arm of, of said villain she was chasing. Well, rip. <laughs> Which uh, s- continues along into a bunch of future cutscenes. So, um, yeah, I- I'd like to see what happens if you don't do that. And and perhaps see how that factors into some final boss fight or something it should be interesting. So yeah. Free arm. Yes. Guardians of the Galaxy, highly recommended. Uh, one of my biggest surprises of the year for sure. Yeah. All right. Mm. Questions. So I want to hit this one that's uh, a comment on the last show since, uh, you know, that's easiest to lose track of. Uh, this one's from Kroll. Always good to see them back. I've been fascinated by previous discussions about the Frankenstein's monster architecture of Sega's later consoles. But I also often hear about how awkward the PS3 was to develop for. What was so weird about the cell? Were the days of Byzantine console architecture now over, with everything mostly coming down to being a PC and a fancy box? I'll never uh, bet against someone's willingness to do something stupid for no reason, but I mean, probably for for the foreseeable future, yeah, we probably won't be seeing deviations from a high-powered PC architecture. Uh, Do you mind if I tackle that one? Go ahead. So the issue when building things like this, whether it be consoles or PC, is when you deviate... Most programs that are made are made with a certain architecture in mind. And so when you move to things that are non-standard architecture, there is no guarantee that it's going to work with it. And that was the, so the issue with the cell architecture was it was completely 100% proprietary to Sony. So everyone who was building stuff for like, Sony before, which was using, you know, for PS1, PS2 was using, part, you know, stuff from, you know, standardized parts and the Xbox, which was using standardized parts. No one had anything that was compatible with it. So even when they got dev kits to try and build for it, they had to, re- you know, basically reprogram their entire engines that they use to build the games to 
try and work with this cell architecture, which was not very compatible. Um, I've actually heard someone mention, I forget where I heard this, but there was almost no support behind it initially either. So like Sony made this architecture, didn't have a lot of support for the devs to try and build with that architecture because no one had any support for it. Like Sony, Sony basically came up with this architecture, built it, and they didn't even know how to troubleshoot it basically. And that was part of why it took so long for PS3 to really take off because there just was not support in the very beginning because it was brand new. No one had anything to work with. Um, mm -hmm. In the case of Sega, and Gaijin, if I get something uh, wrong, you know, don't hesitate to correct me. Uh, I, you still sound like you know more than I do on this, so go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> what Sega did, at least, I don't know about the Dreamcast so much, but from what I've heard about the Saturn is that the Saturn was programmed not with one chipset, but two different chipsets. And and the, I'm not counting like the ones where you could still plug in like Mega Drive games. I'm talking just for the Saturn itself um, to run Saturn games. It had two different chipsets, and they were not... I, I'm not 100% sure if I remember this correctly or not, but I want to say they weren't even the same type of chips. So that sounds so much like something Sega would do. Just, yeah, just, and just... and so the Saturn is a very powerful piece of tech, and the Dreamcast is a very powerful piece of tech. But the problem came in is when you're trying to run things off of a mul multiple chips. It's not, and it's not like multiple core chips. You know, like one chip with multiple cores. It was two different chips with multiple cores, and so. The issue was it basically bridging the information back and forth between those two chips was where a lot of the devs ran into issues trying to get the stuff to run is because it was it was indeed very powerful, but it didn't like the game uh, trying to program for two different chip sets is think of your modern computer, you know, where. 10, 15 years past the Sega Saturn now, most computers only have one. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's been a number of years. Most computers still only run on a single processor chip. You know, we may have graphic cards that have their own chips, but that's only handling one segment of things, which is graphics. But as far as, like, everything, like, all the coding, the code stuff back and forth on the computer, that's still just handled by your processor. And most... PCs, unless you're like really know what you're doing with your PC type of thing, is only just running on a single core, or not a single core, but a single chip with multiple cores. So, the so that's how come the Saturn and the PlayStation Three were like such Frankenstein's to build for was because, in Sony's case again, they had their own architecture that basically had no support, so no one knew how to, to work with it. And then for, so, for Sega, it was a matter of they piecemealed these behemoths of machines internally, but trying to get things to work on the mismatch of, of processing power that it had just could not be done. 
or was not done very well or easily because it also ran into an issue of support. Yeah, there's a reason Sega Saturn emulation has been so hard. So I'll elaborate a little on that from what I know because that's mostly that's got most of it out of the way, but I'll hit some other things that I think are like worth noting. The PS2's architecture is also insane, but it's also from a time when like middleware was nowhere near as common. Uh, Like over the course of the PS2's lifetime, middleware became very, very common to like build engines off of uh, like one of the most famous on the PS2 is a software called Renderware. It was made by, Criterion, the company that made Burnout, uh, it was largely popularized by uh, Grand Theft Auto 3, which uh, immediately made it like, oh, well, they've the most successful game on this platform was built off of this middleware. That's like the most, uh, that's the best advertisement you can get for like any sort of middleware prefab engine. But uh, that that became important much more important to how games were made. And you would start seeing like, but that's when you start seeing like this litany of logos at the beginning of the game, uh, that aren't like a developer or publisher. They're like powered by havoc and CRI and all these other like, uh, middleware solutions to make these things easier to produce the PS three, you know, as, as you mentioned, there's very little compatibility and Sony seemingly didn't really think that was a problem, which, it's like it, it 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 speaks to the way that they were designing hard time which was very much like the assumption that because the PlayStation brand was popular it didn't matter how they made it if it like I remember when the PS4 came out uh Mark Cerny who did the uh lead design on that hardware uh admitted that internally Sony's thought process on the PS3 was that it was good that only their engineers understood the console because it meant that all of their games would look better than everyone else's. And they did not... Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. They did not uh, connect the idea of this is not the only platform they're developing for and their games will look better on other platforms, which will make our platform look worse. (laughs) But... It's kind of short-sighted. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, that was Ken Kutaragi at his most... Uh, well, that was Ken Kutaragi at You Will Work More Hours. So... Uh, yeah. Um, in any case, uh, I think the most famous example of... That, had, uh, that did not work as well on the PS3. Yeah, I think the most famous example of how this like hurt them was if you go back and look at uh, gaming news articles in like 2006, 2007, you will see a bunch of them like Unreal Engine 3 runs like shit on this console. <laughs> uh, and you can find just tons and tons of like stories of this game is running behind on PS3 or they barely started that version. The uh, And like they're having tons of issues with UE3 on it. Sony starts sending out like legions of their own like internal engineers to help resolve this they start paying an epic to do the same to try to get these games out and like it's still like at least until like 2009 before games that are on ue3 run comparably on ps3 compared to 360 because it's just like ah oops the ps3 (laughs) is also a case where this huh i said whoopsie 
<laughs> PS3 is also a case where the the cell was designed with intent, but they actually uh, doubled back on the uh, GPU relatively late in the game, like a year beforehand. Uh, the PS3's GPU, uh, GPU, which in the legacy of uh, hubristic uh, parts names that Sony's given, like people always remember the PS2's Emotion Engine, which I believe was the CPU. But the GPU of the PS3 is incredible because they called it the Reality Synthesizer. <laughs> which... Uh, really beautiful because it was basically a fairly like low-spec, off-the-shelf NVIDIA solution that they just rechristened with a grandiose name. Uh, but yeah, that, that was... <laughs> Yeah, the, the failure of them to understand how middleware had become the thing that allowed PS2 games to happen during the hardware design process of the PS3 shows through and damaged them throughout that generation. So that's that's the elaboration that I'll give on uh, Tem's fairly cogent uh, summary. I'll also bring up, uh, in regards to Saturn... Uh, it was the the reason that it's a mishmash of parts is that it was designed as a two D machine, seemingly without Sega Sega not seemingly realizing how quickly three D was going to overtake the console space, and then upon realizing that other companies were preparing machines that would be three D capable, uh, bolted on a different three D processor. Is why it has two different video display processors Sega. that have to overlay. They have to the two video display processors. Like VDP one sends all of its data to VDP two, uh, which then like overlays the two thing the data that it gets from VDP one along with uh, a uh, with the it, the background data that it generates, and then sends those to the like yeah it, it's ridiculous. I, I believe that thing. Depending upon how you look at it, has somewhere between like five and eight processors. Ay, ay, ay. It's it's bad. Don't don't make that again. I've heard of the story of two processors. I didn't know there were more. Oh yeah, yeah, and like a lot of them are things that like oh it's, this is like a sound processor, but then you would get the problem is that they were it, some things were meant as one kind of processor, but weren't always used that way, which is another reason that emulation is such a pain in the ass. Uh. <laughs> There's an infamous story about uh, the Doom port to Saturn, which is one of the worst ports of any game to anything. It runs at like 10 frames a second. There's no reason for it to run as badly Yikes. as it does. Uh, you, mean, you mean the console almost fails the Doom port test? Yes. Yeah, it probably runs better on the ATM machine. Uh, the real question probably, is, it well, like it runs the Skyrim test. <laughs> But, they but, uh, How in the world do you mess up a Doom port? Yeah, so part of the problem is originally, so the the company that made it, uh, Rage Software, the, the the programmer was actually a fairly celebrated uh, programmer. He's very talented. The problem is that id Software still had final approval rights, and that meant that it had to filter through John Carmack's individual uh, hang-ups. So basically what happened is the Programmer made like a hardware accelerated version of Doom for the Saturn, so it, like ran uh, it, like it was using the Saturn's 3D capabilities. This, however, meant that it had texture warping, 
because it has similar, though not exactly the same problems as the PS1, where, like, it doesn't have great floating point operations, it doesn't have fast ones, and so you can't, uh, be, you can't guarantee perspective correct textures when you're moving around. The, uh, like, Carmack saw that and said, no, you can't ship it like that. And the only solution that they could make in, uh, the only solution that that leaves open is to do everything in software, which is incredibly slow. Ugh. And so the resultant game runs like shit, but uh, notably, Carmack did not uh, understand how the Saturn worked very well. Like, he was, he'd never made a Saturn game. He never would make a Saturn game. But one of the things he did, he just sort of looked through the documents and suggested using, uh, using loading some extra data through like the sound processor, which has like four <laughs> kilobytes of RAM. It's a very strange uh, choice, but it's also very strange that Saturn lets you do that. Hey, Sega uh, does huh. what Nintendo. Yeah, and there's a good reason why it won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten shouldn't. But yeah, there's there's your quick crash course. Uh, we've got some new questions from Fireminer actually. So and Berserk Alucard. So let's hit some of these. Uh, and since one of them was about Kankabancho, which I talked about last week, let's do this. Uh, playing Kenkabancho makes me want to ask, would you buy a Yakuza game that has a Japanese high school delinquent as the protagonist? It already happened. It's called Kudohyo. I was going to say, there was one of those. Did it yep, actually it was the PSP the game. US? It did not come out in the US, although there is a fan translation of the book. Of course there is. Uh, but yeah, uh, Kurohyo is that, uh, it's more, it's, it's weird because it doesn't have, it's a PSP game, so it can't be as ambitious as a proper Yakuza game. Uh, it was developed by Sin Sophia, who used to be called Aki, and very early, and I have to bring this up every time I bring up Aki, because their first name was their best name, it's not their most well-known name because they only made two games while they still had this name, but initially, this company was called The Man Breeze. Uh, in any case, yeah, they were called the Man Breeze. Okay. But incredible name. I can't believe they've changed it twice. Uh, but yeah, uh, Aki was the uh, professional wrestling game developer up through the PS2 era. They made uh, in Japan these games were typically unlicensed and called virtual pro wrestling. But in America, they were things like. WCW NWO World Tour, WCW NWO Revenge, WWF WrestleMania 2000, uh, WWF No Mercy, often considered the greatest professional wrestling game ever made. It is. Uh, yeah, like its only competition is other Aki games. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like its only competition is like Def Jam Vendetta and Def Jam Fight for New York, which were both made by Aki as well and are both wrestling games. Uh, but yeah, those are uh, like... The PSP Yakuza games are you're a high school delinquent in underground fight club, and that gives them an excuse to not have to render a ton of enemies on screen, and it gives them an excuse to not have you wandering around as much. You do still do Yakuza stuff. There's like you can even actually still go to hostess clubs where the game has to make clear that all of the drinks that you're ordering are non-alcoholic. Uh, wouldn't want this Yakuza protagonist breaking the law. Um. 
but yeah, it's uh, it's it, it has happened. I would play it I, I, if they re-release these officially. I would play them, although that was that would probably be more because it's an Aki game. But yeah, uh, yeah although Def Jam is is in a much bigger legal issue these days than before. That game's never coming back. There's too many. Yeah. There's too much likenesses. But... It, it's not even likenesses. They were the people. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, they're likeness. It's likeness rights. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, there's a corollary to this question. As far as I know, this, there used to be a ton of anime, manga, movies, and TV shows about high school delinquents in the 80s in Japan. Lost Judgment has a section about high school bullies. Yeah, there's... The entire, like... There's a lot, a lot of just, like... Delinquents beating each other up media, especially in the 80s. I don't think it's fully died, but it doesn't have as much zeitgeist as it once did. Uh, but yeah, like, it's it's not even, like, specifically just male delinquents. There's also a lot of Sukeban manga, but uh, yeah, this this and this used to be a really really popular aesthetic, but it, be, it seems to have at some point descended like, become so cliched that, like, it's more common to parody it than it is to just do a it, straight version of this. It's like, it's the classic thing to parody if you want to do anything 80s mm -hmm. in Japan. Um, I, I kind of just missed the last five minutes because I got booted off for some reason. Oh, um, oh that sucks. Yeah, but um, like uh, last year I was playing Hero, um, Hero Bank and there is a character in that game that is Actually, I mean, multiple characters in that game that are obviously based off of this 1980s high school delinquent aesthetic. Mm. And one of them is trying so hard to be Bancho style, it hurts. It's just, mm. It is painful to look at just the, the breadth of his shoulder pads. <laughs> just for that. Um, it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess the way I would describe it is that it's a case where the archetype is so specific and so, like, understood in the cultural mind's eye that you can't do it. You can't just do that kind of thing straight because it looks ridiculous. It's so specific and it's so something that yeah. no one actually does in real life, at least not nearly as yeah. much as they might have at one point. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was restricted to, like, the latter half of the 80s, right before the bubble burst. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm thinking of some really ridiculous examples now, like um, the manga Shaman King. Oh yeah, yeah. Had had a this chimpita kind of guy with the the huge hair in the front. Yeah, the gigantic uh, pompadour. Yeah, the and I I just remember I, the only the only part of that manga I ever read had a story featuring him and how he managed to stop a katana with his hair do. <laughs> it sliced straight down the middle of the hairdo and it stopped before it reached his skull because the hair was so thick uh, the one I, I remember because I own it uh, Real Bout High School mm. <laughs> yes the manga <laughs> mm -hmm. well, well, yeah. we shall not discuss the anime but yeah um, it's yeah, it's like if you're watching a, a like a movie from the late '80s in America, and you can just 
you see the style choices made for fashion in that movie just and you really ripping off of it that there is no other not even decade like no other two or three to three year period in history where those clothes were a good idea yeah yeah there's a like yeah and when you when you're aware of this entire life you can see when jokes are being made at expense even when it's not as uh direct there's a there's a running joke in the fourth part of uh, oh, what was it? The there's a running joke in the fourth part of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure uh, that that protagonist has like the giant pompadour and everyone is basically like it, for a huge portion of the manga like everyone is mocking how like ridiculous his hair is and how dated it is. Mm-hmm. Because hey, that's uh, it's like that part was made in the mid '90s, right when that had fully gone out of style and was now something you'd look back at and be like, "That was ridiculous. Why were we doing that?" <laughs> Although Final Fantasy XIV does allow your characters to have a pompadour. Oh, these never left as options in character creators because they're now the comedy options. <laughs> yep. But uh... again, Hero Wars, the main character did have a mini pompadour. Mm-hmm. Because he was the the delinquent style character, mm-hmm. basically. You still see these occasionally show up, just because it's like, well, it's a really easy shorthand. Yep. You know exactly what kind of character you are looking at with one of these guys. Yeah. There's, uh, to, to bring up the old anime again, uh, the two, like, the two humans in the protagonist lineup in uh, the 90s anime, Yu Yu Hakusho, are both oh, yeah. like absolutely that era of delinquent school kid archetypes. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I mean it was made in that period too. So yeah, and like yeah. kind of spilled over into that early '90s period. But yeah, which is very much that entire look is still kind of in style at that point. So they can do that, and it's like. The joke is that, like, the one with the giant pompadour is a dipshit, but, like, it's not because he's the guy with the giant pompadour. <laughs> it's just he's a moron. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, uh... Kuwabara. Kuwabara, yeah. Kuwabara. Yeah. My, my wife is a big fan of that anime. <laughs> it's a yeah. good one. I, I wasn't as big a fan, but it's not bad. Hmm. Let's see... Uh, you know, for, okay, here's gonna go further into Fire Myers questions. You know, for the god-awful amount of manga, anime, and games taking place in high school, I've never actually seen one depicting a truly elite prep school, place to initiate students into the old boys network, academic records are never the priority, and crimes are covered with daddy's money. Where's my persona set in Kaisei Academy? I think that the problem is that when you get into that, the answer is that almost everyone is unsympathetic and no one wants to actually write that. So they instead go with like a much more outlandish idea. <laughs> I have seen manga and anime stories involving that kind of school. The thing hmm. is, they're almost always the antagonists. Yeah. Almost it's hard always. To, yeah, it's hard to make the entire protagonist group set in that. Like it has to be like, oh, that's from the other school. Yeah. I mean, in uh, eleven, the mm. the antagonist group pretty much was that school. Mm. Yeah, part of the problem with also a storyline of that nature is most people people when they want to 
escape and enjoy this type of content, whether it be anime, manga, regular books or whatnot, they want to be able to connect to the characters. And if you're playing someone who's like uber elite, you know, that's like the top one to five percent of the world you're talking about. And your common Joe Schmo isn't going to be interested in reading nothing about characters like that. They want to read about someone a little more like them, which is why the protagonists are always someone a little more relatable to your common reader or... Um, You're going to find some sort of connection that the reader can make, even if the character is otherwise outlandish. Actually, now that I think of it, kill the kill. The, the yeah, that's that very much built on that idea. Which is what he was talking about, is just taken to a ridiculous extreme. Yeah, like anyone who wants to do this kind of story, they always, like, when you're already going that extra, you just go wild with, like, well, yeah. now it's also, like, fantasy nonsense. Like, that's also where what all the protagonists of Danganronpa are supposed to be as well. But, again, or, it goes um, wild and does... Huh? Or the, the light, novel, light novel series, The Idiot, The Test, and The Summon Monster. Mm-hmm. Again, um, it's, it's very much about a strict hierarchy of schools. It's about, like, test predestination things like mm-hmm. that which are I believe this I mean, is also the okay yeah um which are major elements in um the image of the higher prep schools is like they're hell to get into but once you get in there you're set yeah like the hard part was getting in <laughs> yeah or the expensive part as the case may be and yeah i know um both kill a kill and the um uh, baka test whatever um they both uh, play with that. Test. Yeah. So they, they both play with that as the um, the anta- major antagonists are the ones who had the money to get in. Mm. Or the money and the skill to get into the higher levels, and now they lord it over everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking of another example I've heard of. I believe this is kind of the background of the gambling anime Kakegurui. And one of the most common complaints yeah. I've heard about that is everyone in here is an unsympathetic jackass. Yeah. So that's kind of the that's kind of the other issue you run into if you actually do pursue this is you have to make something that is interesting in spite of its cast. So that can be quite the challenge. Yeah. The other option is of course to go full like sociopath sitcom like Always Sunny in Philadelphia and just make it about how these people are horrible. But there's limited appeal to that idea as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see another question speaking of persona and games set in high schools how cynical can they be about young people heard more than once the battle royale Dun- yeah <laughs> uh, I've heard more than once the battle royale Duncan Rumpa and Sailor Suit and Machine Gun were uh, so popular partly because they struck at Japan's notion of students as something pure and show they can be cruel and psychopathic like adults I mean yeah like there's there's a lot of stuff that's just like oh this, this student this teenager's a psychopath and not just the teenagers. Did you ever see, um, or did you ever um, either read or see, what was it, uh, Kamisama no Yutori? I don't think so. Um, I cannot remember what the English translated title was, but think John, um, the big Daruma statue. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's one of the it's one of the things or one of the stories that people were saying Squid Game was ripping off of it at the beginning, even though it's obviously not the case. Um. Because it got really, really weird at the end. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, in Kamisomo no Yutori, it's like half um, half of this high school class is trapped inside their classroom with a literal deity who takes the shape of various dolls over the course of the story and forces them to play games and will kill anyone at the drop of a hat. Mm. And not sh not just shooting them. Um, if I remember right, the very first casualty was the homeroom teacher who spontaneously imploded. Rip. Yeah, that's how the thing announced his, its presence. It was, yeah. I think it would be more like... Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I mean, there's always like the push-pull in culture, in any given popular culture, that is basically like media that posits that the next generation is going to be the ruination of society and media that posits that the next generation is the only hope for society. And you will see that in manga as well as you would anywhere else. Yeah. And honestly, manga has for a long time really enjoyed both the deadly game tropes and yep. the um, just the general youth dystopia tropes. I mean, look at Akira. Yep. Akira, I mean, Akira is a really like heavily uh, is like very thematically about what on earth like Japan is going through and what the next generation is going to be like. Yeah, we were talking about like the the era where the Bansho and Sukeban archetypes came from. Akira also came from that time period, and it was a lot more pessimistic about Japan's future. Yeah. Yeah, but um, they, yeah, they, you can tell because they went from like typical delinquents to biker games. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean Boso's over. Yeah, but... exist. Um, oh, absolutely. But it's one of those things where, like, when you make that that the lead character, you're kind of putting the focus in a very specific place. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, just trying to get through some of these. Uh, why is it always the weird Japanese games uh, by people like Swery, Kojima's, and Suda51 uh, who refer to Hollywood movies? I think it's mostly just that, uh, one, you can see one person's taste going through, and two, the kind of person who has that kind of directorial thumbprint has a lot of influences, and you can actually see, you actually know some of them. Yeah, it kind of goes down to the auteurism in this case. Yeah. Because, like, they're also, like, if you look through the games of all three of those uh, men, you will find that they are full of references to stuff you've never heard of because it's only really popular or was made on, essentially only available in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of stuff that people, like, and, and sometimes it's even just stuff that, like, has does exist outside of Japan to some greater or lesser extent. But, you know, like, Western players don't really take it for what it is. Uh, like, the immediate example that springs to mind to me would be uh, that Metal Gear Solid 3, the, all the bosses explode when you kill them. And there's, a, there's an in-game explanation for why that exists, because there always is an in-game explanation for why that's happening. But the out-of-game explanation explicitly given by Kojima was, we just wanted to reference common Rider. Like, they're just <laughs> common Rider villains that explode. Yeah. So, or, like, something that's just like, well, that's slightly, that's an odd choice, but, like, has more cultural context in Japan becomes what the hell is going on in English. 
Yeah. Or but, I remember, yeah. Um, you remember from last summer the um for um for Resident Evil Eight they made the puppet show cartoon yeah, series. Yeah, puppet show. Showed you that one. And, yeah, yeah. And you remember how hilarious that is, and I can tell you again that it is a hundred times more hilarious if you have actually watched enough Japanese children's morning TV programming to get the actual references that they make. In the yeah. Shows. But I mean, the, the second one with the, the eviscerating, the friendly, cute eviscerating murder machine. Mm. Um, when somebody goes through it and there's all the, the uh, ribbons for fake blood. And at the very end, it plays the Pythagoras switchy theme. <laughs> and i'm just like i'm dying here because <laughs> yeah i i get the joke and i don't think anybody i ever showed that video got the joke because they had never actually seen that particular children's show it is still um, appealing because it's wild and weird but you don't get the full breadth of the joke yes there are layers upon layers and it gets more and more hilarious if you have ever seen Again, Pythagoras Switch or Kasanda Isho or um, Korinanda Shokai. Um, mm. Just any of these shows that actually feature puppets in that style. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, see, but yeah, like the, the answer to the core question I would give is that uh, people who make interesting games and identifiable while making interesting games tend to have broad bases of interest and thus you will see you will see more things that you recognize in them as influences yeah yeah um, and again and the more auteurish the developers are like the more hands-on control one guy has the more likely you are to see everything that they like yep and that's why you're going to see a lot of luchadors every time you sit, play a suit of 51 game um yeah Speaking of these three developers, their games are incredibly self-indulgent, yet they are interesting because the people making them are interesting. But is there any game that is self-indulgent, but either terrible or boring because their maker is terrible or boring? In other words, what is the room of video games? I have an answer, but it's not going to be from anyone you've ever heard of, and it was made by... And it feels kind of rude to pick on it because it was made essentially by one dude, but he's apparently a huge dick, so it doesn't matter. Are you talking about Which Braid? One? No, I'm not talking about Braid. Oh, I think that but... game is merely boring. I was going to bring up the U Testament. I don't know what that is. That is a freeware PC game made by a guy named M. Dickey. That is his online handle. He had previously made some truly baffling games about like breaking out of prison or being a pro wrestler. He somehow put all these together into a game about his misunderstanding of how the Bible works. Uh... This is a game that Did he realize he was misunderstood, or was he just... Yeah. Say what? Oh, he, did, he, he did not... I'll start by saying it starts by... <clears throat> I think he just didn't understand it, because it starts by... It starts with the idea... Uh, well, one, it has a bunch of Bible verse quotes, but a few of them are two verses that don't exist in any extant Bible, which is impressive. Uh, okay. Like, just citing a verse that doesn't exist, which is just beautiful. Uh, but, like, it's it's a baffling video game, even if you leave out any, uh, like, religious sentiment one way or the other, because it's just full of... It, it's bizarre. I, it's, like, people just running around, like, because it's mostly just AI-controlled people, like, running around yelling at each other and trying to beat the hell out of each other. 
Uh, it's full of all of these conflicting systems that are very ambitious and don't make any sense. Uh, it's bizarre, ugly, and surreal looking because it was like essentially made by one guy and was built on the engine he had made for his like prison simulator game. Uh, and you basically just follow Jesus around and he gives you magic powers. So, uh, it's like, it is that exact sort of the room concept of someone put a lot of work into this, believed in it strongly, had no idea what they were doing and probably shouldn't have, but the result is hilarious to look at. What's that is I hear Jesus gives you magic powers and all I can think is that's a basis for a role-playing game right there. It would be. That's probably Jesus' deadly biomaster too, but uh yeah, there there's yeah, it's it's uh it's a game. It's a game it's a game, it's freeware if you really feel the need to mess around with it. Uh but yeah, like that that I would consider to be like the uh, misguided auteur the room equivalent that you're looking for Fireminer uh, let's see regarding Pseudo 51 before and after No More Heroes 3 I've been playing his old titles is it just me or does it feel like uh, stripping his flair and his games aren't if you strip out his flair and his games aren't fun like Lollipop Chainsaw at its core is just maybe an average hack and slap far below what Capcom and Tecmo have to offer well bear in mind he like what counts as a Suda 51 game is very, very nebulous because there, once his name became something that people were aware of, it began to be used to market games that he may have had limited involvement in. But also, I mean, I think that's true of a lot of developers, a lot of developers who have gained sort of an auteur status is that their design, like the kind of things that they put in, like their style makes up for oftentimes limited uh, mechanics. Because, like, Grasshopper Manufacturer is not a company the size of a Capcom. It's a pretty small company that, like, has been sold around a few times. I believe NetEase just bought it from Gung Ho. But Grasshopper is not a AAA developer, even though their games get covered in AAA space. They don't have that kind of money. And so their games are just never going to be that polished. It is that sense of style and flair that makes them interesting. And this one, which is for some reason misnumbered, is four again. Uh, anyone notice how associated games just stop being made? Are there and there were so many of them in the ops. I think about this a lot actually. <laughs> There was a period in the early aughts, especially on the PS2, where a game's entire marketing effort could be a genre you're aware of, but cel-shaded. <laughs> and that went away, and I kind of miss it. My, my issue is, like, some of the games that had cel-shading looked absolutely horrible, but there are oh, some... Uh, Wild Arms 3 being a really good example of that. Oh, I think it looks fine. Actually, I like Wild Arms 3, but okay. I, I can see where you might complain. I'm I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the very thick, heavy-minded cell shading, but I have seen some really good games done with it as well. So, it for me, it really depended upon the game. 
And there's definitely somewhere they used it for more, for a very specific stylized look too, and I can accept that. But I, I was actually not a big fan of cell shading overall. I think part of it is too because I have um, issues with depth perception, hmm. and so oh. and so depending on how it was made, like depth. Um, the best example I have is trying to watch the anime Soul Taker. Mm, okay. There are, I actually had to watch that in the dark because if I tried to watch it in in light, my eyes would actually start freaking out. <laughs> yeah, I've got hmm. similar issues with HD at times. But that's one reason I don't like a lot of the really high 3D games. That's fair. Uh, Besides Soul Taker just being a really messed up anime. <laughs> There's that too, yes. Yeah, like it was, it was a... Cell shading was definitely a trend, and uh, a lot of the audience is assumed to not respond to it at this point, because a lot of the audience is assumed to want the... Realistic-looking games with, yeah, I don't know, big strong man shooting each other. But yeah, uh, I, I kind of miss it actually when there were just more cel-shaded games. Bring back Jet Set Radio. Um, is the stream still? There's hmm? no. I'm just seeing a Twitch logo instead of a video. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a. So Wheels is dying, is what you're saying. No, I, cha I changed it on one stream, but not the other. There you go. There's Bloodborne for you. Bloodborne. Okay. Bleed Barn. Uh, but yeah. Uh, if you want to go and see uh, Cell Shading at the height of its mad powers, go look up Automodelista for PS2. It is a... Gran Turismo knockoff made by Capcom that is cell shaded for no ethical what we find it. Wasn't Nocturne also cell shaded? Yeah, it's got shading going on. I'm not sure I would describe what's happening there as cell shading, but I don't know the technical makeup of the game itself, so I can't say what its actual uh, solution is. Um. Also got some questions from Berserk Alucard. You guys talk about localization and translation for games. What goes into deciding games are brought over from Japan? What's the process? I don't actually know a lot about this. I'm in Europe and we missed out on a lot of games, mainly in the PS1 gen. Any RPGs you missed out on in Japan or in the US? Or in Europe that you know uh, any info about? Some examples of games I'm better about not getting to this day. Son of Gears, Chrono Cross, and Fantasy. Uh, I, I don't think any of us has, like, actual experience with localization. I, I am friends with some people who mm -hmm. work in that business, but it's also, you know, kind of rude to just bug them to ask about it, so I haven't done that, but uh, I will say uh, I, I can speak to a bit of why this was particularly punishing to Europe, for reasons that you probably long since surmised. Just as it turns out, uh, you usually wanted to localize at least into three languages in your so any RPGs were immediately going to become yeah. much more difficult. Usually four or five. 
Yeah, that was the idea. So you needed French, to... Italian, Spanish, and German. Yeah, and you you needed to find like your the publisher needed to be a company that was capable of doing all of these translations. So, like that meant that a lot of these had to be handled by a company as big as like Nintendo, who did like Illusion of Time in Europe, or uh, a, like I remember back in the DS era. Uh, Capcom itself published uh, Yakuten Saiban Phoenix Rider Attorney in English, and then Nintendo picked it up for Europe and translated it into like French, Spanish, Italian. Uh, I think and German. I know that there's German versions of those floating around too. They they translated into a just a, a lot of languages, and like you kind of need a company that has a reasonable presence in a bunch of places and it suddenly becomes a pain when you have uh, to translate a significant degree of text. And thankfully, companies have gotten better about this uh, and they partner with uh, other companies that can uh, better suit these needs now. You know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's part of what led to the big thing with uh, Super Robot Wars. Getting some, uh, the last four entries in English was they partnered with... Uh, uh, company in Southeast Asia. Well, first they used an auto translator for Moon Dwellers, but after that one, they <laughs> with demand. They actually hired a team to do translations. Yeah, there's a there was a team that was on V, and there was a team that's been on them since X. Uh, but both of them did uh, very good work. Um, I mean, I will admit, so far in thirty, I have seen, I have like highly noticed one major error where they strung two words together mm. but it's only happened once and I've and I have played a like as far as like individual chapters go I think I've played a good 30 to 40 actual chapters by themselves yeah that, that sort of thing will just slip through because I mean that's a lot of text to read but yeah uh but yeah, like as for selection, uh, the the needs and criteria of these, I I have very I can I can make educated guesses, but I can't uh, speak to this. Like there's a there's an essay that's going to be going up fairly shortly on my Patreon about uh, orphan scion of sorcery, where I spend like half uh, I spend like a paragraph trying to determine why on earth that game was selected for English localization. Because in that case, that anime had never, the, neither the light novel, the manga, nor the anime had to that point ever been released in the U.S. Uh, is that what it was? Is that one of the stories that's part of the same universe as Lotus War? I don't think that Sorceress Stabber Orphan is. Uh, yes, that's that's one of the Sword World games. Huh. I'll have to look into this. Uh, I need to do some revisions. Sword. And I remember the anime actually being out, so... It did come out, but every record I could find from, like, Anime Network and everywhere else I could look said that it came out in 2001, whereas the game came out in 2000. So, it's possible fan subs were floating around at that point. It wouldn't surprise me. But as far as I can tell, no official localization had been made of that title to that point. And it, it comes down to, like, it, my assumption as to how it got localized was just there aren't many PS2 games. 
and like that actually does have a lot to do with how some of the some like why something might get localized early in a system's life that might not have been localized later is there's just not much competition. Ah, uh, never mind. I'm getting it confused with Rune Soldier. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, or Orphan, as far as I can tell, is like a series of light novels. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it's just one of those things like uh, the 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 things that usually end up getting something banished to non-localization are too culturally weird. That used to be more common. Uh, I feel like the floodgates have kind of opened, so as long as something is not likely to get you arrested for possessing, it will probably get... Um, it, will pr it will probably not be bounced on that uh, basis. Uh, let's see. Yeah, one of the... Uh, like just that I know um, did not get... Uh, license. Uh, one of the actually strangest tales of licensure and release in Europe that I know of is Xenosaga. Did it actually get released yeah. in Europe? No, uh, so Xenosaga 1 did not get released yeah, in Europe. It was like only 2 and 3 or something? Only 2? Oh, only 2. That's even worse. Wow. <laughs> so they didn't release 1. They did release two, which is the worst game, and since it sold so badly, they didn't want to release three. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you're the, really the worst the game in the series. Yeah. Honestly, I'm surprised they didn't just try to release the DS game instead. Yeah, they didn't try that in any English territory. Uh, which is a shame, because uh, it's probably the better version of the story. Well, yeah, I it's mean, the canonical version. Yeah, well, Namco, Namco doesn't have any faith in the series, so, you know. Yeah, it was also probably that it was... I think the thing that actually probably killed Venosaga 1 and 2 is... Uh, it's a DS game from, like... Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively early DS game, so that was probably the best chance they had. Uh, I couldn't say... Like, eventually DS RPG stopped happening because they were relatively expensive and piracy became such a problem that they actually did start losing sales. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, I, don't, I don't know why they didn't take a chance on that. The only thing I can assume is uh, that, like, the, Namco seemed to lose faith in the series more as it happened. Uh... Well, part of that was um, this, for the second entry, um, the dude and his wife um, were not actually involved with the second one because, like, I think one of I Eric Landon did a really good video on this, and I think he said, like, when he did his deep dive, like, he found out one of them had been sick. So they just that happens, yeah. yeah. So they took the time off from the second game, and that's how come the second game, like is so drastically different than the first and third. Mm -hmm. uh, so so looking into this, I think I can maybe elucidate the reasoning I would assume this didn't happen. And that's, mm -hmm. in Japan, Xenosaga 1 and 2 came out like a couple months before 3 as like a lead-up game. At the mm -hmm. time, it's likely, uh, and like a couple months later, like a relatively short turnaround time, like, 
Xenosaga 3 in Japan is like a July game, and it's an August game in the U.S. So it's likely that uh, Bamco kind of worked to make sure that that would come out with a short turnaround time in the U.S. And at that point, they were kind of ready to wash their hands of the whole thing. And so there was no... Like, they didn't have uh, any... Uh, they didn't have any hands to spare to work on Xenosaga 1 and 2 for DS, and they didn't have any desire to go back to it after 3 was already out. And so that's probably why we didn't get Xenosaga 1 and 2. And with no other company ready to pick it up, it wasn't going to show up in Europe either, even though some games do make that trip. Uh, there was a question, uh, one of the corollaries on this question was uh, any RPGs missed out in Japan in the US? In the US, I think the one of the infamous ones is actually probably Terranigma which is Japan and Europe, no America uh, that might also be on my mind because I've been playing it with <laughs> but uh, in the PS1 era, there's a ton of stuff that only came out in Japan that is of at least mild interest, but that might also take a long time to actually get through. <laughs> Just check my old review history on the original site, and you'll see a yeah, lot Yeah, pretty, much, pretty yeah. much look through Gaijin's stuff for anything that has, like, a decent score, and that'll be something that belongs on this list. I actually see your reviews, Gaijin. Possibly even a few things with a less than decent score, because there were some really interesting games yeah that were not always the best they weren't always good games but you. they were worth seeing at least once. <laughs> yes yeah i miss i miss reading your reviews of the obscure japanese games <laughs> <laughs> well that reminds me i need to i've got a couple more that i really need to write out at some point yeah oh well you gotta track down a copy of brightest and explain to me how that turned out which game Brightest, it's one of Quintet's PS1 games. Brightest PS1. Okay. Who's the dude following you, Wheels? I assume it's a summoned help. Yeah, old father Gascoigne. Oh yeah, I forgot you can actually summon him. But yeah, Brightest was like a Quintet game for the PS1 in like 1999. There is essentially, there's never been any attempt by fans or officially to translate it. There's no information on it in the US, and I'm very curious about it. Ah, oh. oh, I was spelling it wrong. Okay. Yeah, B R I G H T I S. Yeah. I don't know. If you ever run into a copy of that and want to do me a favor looking of explaining to me what the hell's going on with it. <laughs> but oh, that's probably oh, actually very expensive never... now. I have never seen this before, and that says something. <laughs> As I have seen a whole bunch of random crap before. Yeah, like um, I would suspect at this point, even if it wasn't maybe at the time, it's probably very expensive now. Or at least rare. <laughs> I was going to say at least rare. I would not put much money on expensive. Um, yeah, but you'd have to... It would be unlikely to just run into it by accident. Yeah. But, yeah. I I mean, again, I don't know. Um, some my I haven't actually been inside of a lot of my old stores for a while. 
That's understandable. Yeah, so I might do that again next week or something. Um, mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Ra randomly on Twitter, one of the people I follow was talking about um, making a Metabots tabletop game. So I actually got hit <laughs> on the roof and... Uh, uh, can't really call it a conversation since it was like 15 tweets in a row for just for me with no responses. Or, um, <laughs> but you got to go on a tear, which is always fun. Yeah. So they're asking, oh, see, what are some things to keep in mind with skills and things? So, just, so I pretty much just laid out how Metabots worked in the DS game. That makes sense. <laughs> which is honestly preferable to the way they worked in the 3DS games. Um, but that's a rant for a different day. Um, <laughs> yeah. Speak, but yeah. Oh. Right, I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that one now. Let me... Well, thank you. I mean, I mean, granted, the last game I actually no, which what was a different game. Last time somebody asked me to check out a game, I think it was either uh, Kamurai or Athia. I recall these names with trepidation. Athia looked really pretty. That's something in its favor, I guess. I've heard of that one. Nothing else about it worked very prettily, but the graphics, <laughs> at least it was nice to look at. No, that that was a game where um, formations were very important in battle, and it would cost you an entire round to change a formation, and there was no controlling which direction the enemy would approach you from on an on a random battle, mm -hmm. which meant that, like. 90% of the time, you lost a round at the beginning of battle to try and turn your formation in the proper direction. Yeah. So. Give me, like, 20 minutes and I'll tell you what I think, David. Huh? I'm brightest. <laughs> oh, you're downloading the... Okay, I got you. Uh, yeah, I, I just... I, I, like, I've looked at it, I've messed around with it through various means, but I've never... I, I don't know anything about... Like, I, my Japanese is not very good, so I can't really read it, so... Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, uh... I'll to Gaijin, too. Yeah, that's that's where I'm hoping Gaijin, if he can ever run across a copy, can help me. Well, but... I'll keep an eye out for a bit. Just give me a moment. Wait a moment. Oh. No worries. But... Yeah, uh... Pursuant to the rest of this question, like games that were missed out on in Japan, those would probably just be like old school Western RPGs. Uh, your Fallouts, your Baldur's Gates, your Knights of the Old Republics. Oh, Ark was involved with it too. Uh, yeah. Uh, Okay, Dave, I may still have my copy of Magical Hoshin if you want the last Quintet game anytime soon. <laughs> I might just take you up on that. Yeah. Okay. And if I can't but, actually yeah. find it, I'm pretty sure it's like literally 50 yen at the store. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I'll give it a fine home. So we'll worry about yeah. it later. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just one of those things like... It, it was such an influential company, and I kind of want to see, dig up everything that I can about it. So. I'm kind of hoping that the actual remake of an Act Razor, of Act Razor means that they're 
at least considering like a trilogy collection or something. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they at least are more seriously considering it after Act Razor uh, Renaissance did better than expected. So. Did anything, I think is the awkward word. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm, saying like I'm, the. I'm at least it happened. <laughs> I'm just saying like the like the the only info we really have about its sales is a statement made by Yuzo Koshiro, who worked, who did like of course the music for it, who basically said that it had done. Better than expected. So, I mean, selling above expectations is a good thing in this world. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we maybe see, especially someone like maybe Nintendo tries gunning to get uh, the Quintet games, uh, the the Soul Blazer trilogy onto. Uh, the Switch Online at some point, just by virtue of the fact that one, they've already got a bunch invested in that. They did translation publishing duties on several different versions of several of those games. Uh, and two, I mean, anything to increase uh, increase the value proposition of those things. I thought I thought Quintet published through Enix originally, right? They did in America, but oh, okay. Nintendo published them in Europe, where they where they translated a bunch of them. And also, uh, that's where the English translation of Terranigma comes from, is that Nintendo published it. So yeah, Enix published... Uh, oh, that was another thing that I was actually looking for as to why we didn't get... Uh, since, since this was discussed and it's all germane. Uh, so... Uh, the reason that I suspect we didn't get Terranigma is just Annex America didn't exist at that time. I always assumed that was the reason, to be honest. Yeah, it's just like, because from what information I can dig up, apparently from an archive of Quintet's old site, Illusion of Gaia sold best in North America. Hmm. But unfortunately, Annex America super didn't exist by that point. By the time Terra Enigma rolled around, uh, Nintendo of America had kind of moved full steam ahead on just promoting the Nintendo 64, and so it, like Nintendo of Europe decided to go forward. With well, Square Terra Enix was the ones who did Illusion uh, of Gaia, though. Yeah, Enix did, but like I said, Enix. Oh, Square America... did. No, not Square. No, I thought Square Enix did. No, very specifically Enix. And Enix America did not exist at that time. They went out of business in like 1994 or something and would resurface sometime in the late 90s. Which is also one of the several reasons we didn't get Star Ocean on Super Nintendo either. Uh, or or uh, two of the Dragon Quest games. Yeah. Yeah, they... I guess they must have just completely taken a bath on Brain Lord and... <laughs> I mean, okay, according to the wiki, Illusion of Gaia was published by Enix in Japan, and then Nintendo yeah. published it in North America and PAL. I didn't realize Nintendo published the North American version. I do remember the Enix logo involved yeah, in Illusion it, of Gaia. Yeah, it does run the Enix logo in the American version. Uh, and you just reminded me of Brain Lord, and I know I've finished that game, and I do not remember a single thing about it, which is really bizarre. Yeah, because uh, I, I usually remember random stuff about games years, decades after the fact, and I do not remember 
anything about Brain Lord except that I finished it. I won't lie, that speaks quite poorly of Brain Lord. Yep. Uh, but yeah, like... I, I, I suspect they must have lost money big time on things like Brain Lord. Uh, wheels of suffering. Uh, but yeah, uh, it seems to have just been entirely a case of if if Enix was still alive at that point, they probably have tried it, but they they were dead. So, yeah. and they would not reestablish an American branch for a number of years. And so, uh, but yeah. I would honestly believe seemingly in preparation for Dragon 7 as being like their big thing, although ironically they ended up publishing Star Ocean 2 in the US before Dragon Quest 7 because Dragon Quest 7 took a long time. But yeah, so that's uh, that's the best I got for uh, things that did not come out in uh, America that were typically still bitter about. There's a lot oh, of stuff Mother that... Three. Oh yeah, Mother 3, of course. <sighs> but... Yeah, that's. I guess that is definitely a big one. That one, of course, can't being missed everywhere other than Japan. <laughs> yeah, and that gets us to our new, new questions. Uh, well, I'm tired. Is everyone else? <laughs> I'm not tired. You're tired. Oh, you already said you're tired. Never mind. Yeah. Um, I I have to go pick up daughters in about half an hour, so I need. To okay, so let's uh, let's. Put the, the curtains on this one. Uh, Gaijin, plug. Okay. Okay, so, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited with a few different um, paperback editions available in collection format. Um, it's just if you enjoy tabletop role-playing games, if you enjoy the... Uh, vicarious thrill of a let's play of somebody else seriously bungling a role um it's i mean it's all made up at i mean so are some of these let's play videos out there so um i yeah i, I have never I, I have not actually ever seen a let's play video i just heard about them um and, it's, and realized that i have effectively done the same sort of thing in um approximately 1,800 pages of text at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah, you laugh about 600 pages. If you enjoy podcasts where people play D&D, you might as well read the book. <laughs> yes. Um, I've been told I've done a reasonably good job of both somehow explaining D&D or uh, tabletop mechanics that I don't actually understand myself and um, <laughs> presenting middle school um, children playing a game, which is amazing considering I'm like 41 at this point. Um, so. But you have to deal a lot with children. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So, oh. yeah, so, 
Yep, so Princesses of the of the Pizza Parlor, uh, Michael Yadimizu, available Kindle, Kindle Unlimited. Um, purchasable in in installments by episode. So, yeah, go ahead. Commit to as much or as little as you need. Yes. Yeah. Give that a look, give that a rate. I really want to. I'd imagine that you are a busy dad, though. No, it's more I'm a broke dad. <laughs> Could be both. Uh, but, uh, what, uh, what do you got to plug, by the way? Um, all, I've, all I've got to plug um, is that you can catch us here on uh, the RP Gamer um, at twitch.tv slash rpgamer uh, seven days a week with various uh, streaming content. Um, we've got Wheel of SNES RPGs twice a week. We've got classics, classic and retro gaming RPGs like most nights. Um, I'm going to be on actually tomorrow morning starting the Final Fantasy V Pixel Remaster run. Uh, oh, nice. So, and... Um, so you can always catch us here. Uh, schedule's a little bit wonky right now, but uh, we, we have a lot of content. We've got a lot of, a lot of content that is uh, highlighted to, if you want to rewatch something, we've already put some time into, so. Nothing wrong with watching the archives. Nope. Um, I, in fact, I just uh, finished highlighting the entire playthrough of uh, Tales of Arise this morning. I split my last That's stream cool. of six hours into three parts. That's probably. Yeah, that was. I I didn't realize I was that as far away as I was. <laughs> you just determined you were gonna finish it. Oh. I was trying to finish it before Super Robot Wars 30, which I know was going to be a slow burn. Um, yeah. And Super Robot Wars 30 has been my my filler game till Final Fantasy V PR. <laughs> it uh, finally releases a. Uh... By the time anyone who wasn't watching live listens to this. It's actually already out. I downloaded it this morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is actually. I saw some people getting impressions. I forgot about that. And they've um, already uh, posted a thing about patches for bugs and things that are not working. <laughs> always a good start. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Wheels, you got anything to plug? Uh, you can watch me fail at various video games on my Twitch channel, uh, Ask Wheels. Uh, you can watch the show live if you don't happen to be somebody that listens to it live. Uh, on both my channel or the RP Gamer channel, your choice. Or both at the same time if you have to for some reason. Uh, and Sunday nights on the Upper Gamer channel, we do currently named Sunday Night Shenanigans. Uh, You're not going to come up with another name. You're probably not. That, that name works. Just go with it. Okay. Uh, where I play random RPGs, and then we usually move over to my channel afterwards and play some fighting games. It's been Smash lately, but I think we're going to do... One of, one of, yeah, one of the Capcom versus games. Or a lot of fun. Yep. Are you ready for the Um That's it. 
but yeah. Uh, so keep track of those, and I once again have my bad Patreon where I am fully allowed to embrace my desire to never stop. Uh, that's at patreon.com slash game culture study, all one word, no capitals, no underscores, no spaces, obviously. Uh, but yeah, uh, wow, just getting absolutely brutalized by the cleric beast. Uh, but yeah, um, that did. yeah, somehow, but yeah, uh, I most recently put up a very long ramble about uh, the early PS2 era and its obsession with uh, every uh, company trying to do a science experiment to see if they too can make Grand Theft Auto 3. The answer is that most of them probably shouldn't have tried. Uh, but I also, in probably slightly more interesting news, have uh, going up in the next couple weeks a uh, essay about the uh, failings of Ephemeral Fantasia for PlayStation 2, which you may have heard me ramble about a few weeks ago. Uh, Orphan Scion of Sorcery, Ore no Riori. Uh, it's just weird things that kept capture my attention for no good reason. Uh, if you have a particular thing that you would like me to uh, write about, go ahead and ask me, or if you really want to make sure that we'll actually do it, uh, contribute to the Patreon, and I promise that you will get at least one essay on a topic of your choosing, as long as I don't hate you. And the chances are that if you're contributing, I don't hate you. Uh, but, yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, you can ask us questions by going to the RP Gamer Discord and putting them in, uh, or by putting them in the comments under this very episode. If you wish to join the Discord, uh, you will find that you can go to the Community tab on the... Uh, on the RP Gamer website and find the Discord link there. There's a lot of great people there, a lot of good discussion. Uh, I'd like to once again thank Crawl, Firemine, Berserk, Alucard for all the questions. If there's any questions you'd like us to elaborate on further or any questions you'd like us to just talk about in general, uh, you know, just go ahead and send us those. We always love hearing them. But otherwise, see you, Space Cowboys. See ya. Catch you on the flip side. Yeah. Cause baby now we got bad blood You know it used to be mad love So take a look what you've done Cause baby